Just a couple of uh, shorter Bible readings uh, today as we uh, dig into this time, this week after Easter together. So John chapter 1, firstly, in the first four verses, and then we're going to head towards the end of the Gospel account with John chapter 20, and starting at verse 30. So here's John's, the beginning of John's account of the good news about Jesus, the story of Jesus that we, uh, we, we thought hard about last week with the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. And this is John's account as he sat down to write this story about Jesus. This is where he started. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And this life was the light of all mankind. What an opening, don't you think? Wouldn't you have loved to have written those few words? What an opening to this majestic good news account of the life of Jesus. As John looks back over all that he's experienced of Jesus, all that he's heard, all the stories, all the encounters that he's he's discovered in that, that is his opening few verses. His opening few words is to declare this incredible beginning for the Word made flesh, for Jesus incarnate among us. And then how was he going to finish his gospel? I'm not finishing in chapter, the end of chapter 21 because there's a bit of debate about whether he actually wrote chapter 21, okay? Some commentators think somebody else might have added chapter 21 in, okay? That doesn't deny its, its uh, inspiration of God or anything like that because it's in the Scripture, But I wanted to end with what may be John's final words, okay? Anyway, dig out and see what you think about that. We can have a conversation later about that, whether whether that's right or not. But anyway, John chapter 20, here's what I want to end with. So there's the beginning, we've heard it. We've heard this incredible beginning. Here's the ending. John 20 verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. You remember in John's account, signs were a big thing. He has seven signs, seven I am saying, seven miracles that point to who Jesus is. Well, here, here, here he's ending. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. These are written so that you might believe, and by believing you might have life. And so John, humor me today, John ends his gospel account. That by believing you we might have life in his name because he's the one who came back to life. Resurrection, who defeated the biggest enemy of all. So I want to think about what happens next. After Easter, what happens next? I'm sure you've been in this situation, haven't you? You've been in a situation where something that you were heading towards has sort of come to a conclusion and you think, well, what's going to happen next? What happens the day after you get married? When? Leah, what happens the day after you get... What happens next after the big build-up to a wedding? And you go through the ceremony and all the vows are made. We've left the wedding aisle in case anybody wants to walk up it today and uh, and see. But but, what happens after you've walked back down the aisle of, of your wedding? What happens? 
What happens after you've passed your driving test? What did you do the day after you passed your driving test? What did you do? Did you go out in the car on your own? Of course you did, because it was like freedom, wasn't it, suddenly? If you had nice parents who lent you their nice car, you went out on your own in that car. Because that's the point. The point of the wedding day is not the day itself, it's the life to follow. The, the point of, of, of passing a driving test is not to keep sitting in that car with somebody else, it's to be able to go out on the road on your own. An exam, preparing for an exam. What happens after you've fa- fa- passed it? What happens after you've passed it? What about a project at work? You know, you, you've got to the end of that project and your boss is extremely happy with you. In fact, they've given you an amazing bonus, in, you know, a few thousand pound bonus because you've done such an amazing job. What's going to happen next? The next project, presumably. What happens when you get promotion? What happens on that day when you suddenly sit in a different chair with a, a more expensive desk and a more expensive uh, chair which reclines for the first time because suddenly you're, you're in a position where you get a reclining chair rather than just a hard one. And What happens then? Well, life just starts, doesn't it? What happens when you move into a new home? What happens then? Well, you start building it, don't you? You start living in it because it's meant to be lived in. What happens the day after you've had a new baby? You wish you hadn't? I I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. No, no, of course not. Of course not. You start getting up in the middle of the night, don't you? Doing what needs to be done and, and, and wonder how on earth did this happen? Well, hopefully you know by now. So after the followers of Jesus had had watched him die on a cross heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Seen him being taken off the cross by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and put into a tomb and a stone rolled across it. What happens next? Is that it? Back fishing, back tax collecting, back sitting under a tree contemplating the world, back fighting for revolution, Back looking for another self-proclaimed Messiah who might not disappoint you next time. What happens next? Disappointments, frustration, anger, regrets. They'd finally found someone they could look up to. Someone who they believed was going to lead them into that future. And then all of a sudden, it's as if the door has been closed again. And then a couple of days later, reports start leaking in. Some of them have seen him alive. Some have seen the empty tomb and been inside it. Some have heard Jesus call their name in the silence of a garden. And they begin to wonder, could all this be true? Was that not the end? Could there be something happening? And then... Slowly the cogs start turning and they rewind and replay some of the things that Jesus had said that they didn't quite understand at the time. And finally the pieces begin to fall in place and they begin to realize, wow, this could be true. Remember when he talked about the seed that had to be buried in the ground and die for something beautiful to be produced as a result of it? Remember when he said that he would destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days and people laughed at him? 
Do you remember in Matthew 12, 40, when he said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And they started counting Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Perhaps this is true. Perhaps this is what is going to happen next. And so as they began to realize and that Jesus was alive, as they began to see him alive, they began to experience that fresh new beginning of there is something more to this life than, than just those three years that we've had. And so John, several decades later, begins his gospel with this awe and wonder at the, the majesty and might of the risen Lord Jesus, that he is what happened next. And he remixes Genesis chapter 1, doesn't he? And he, he declares this pre-existent, almighty, powerful Jesus. That God's plan wasn't just in this moment, but it started from before the beginning. And this was the culmination of it here in this place. The resurrection of Jesus was what was going to happen next. And he declares with confidence that this is true. And this has happened and this can happen next for all those who will read this account in years to come. Because Jesus performed many other signs and wonders in the presence of his disciples. But these are written that you, you who come next, we who come next in this long line, th this message preached to those who were still to come. That's what the psalmist said, didn't it? Psalm 22, this message will be preached to those who are yet unborn. People like us at that time. And John declares, but these are written so that you, we may believe. And by believing, we may have life in his name. That's what happens next. And Mary sees Jesus through her tears and thinks he's a gardener. And why not? That's where it all started, didn't it, in Genesis? The disciples, they see Jesus through their fears, gathered together, the doors locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were overjoyed. And Thomas, he sees Jesus through his doubts. When Jesus came a week later, this time when Thomas was actually in the room, Thomas didn't need to put his finger in the nail marks or his hand in the side because in front of him he realized, here's my Lord and my God. And Peter, he sees Jesus through his denial and realizes that there is a next bit of the story. Lord, you know that I love you. See, when everything looks like the end, there is a new beginning because Jesus has conquered death and he is alive. So how do you see Jesus? How do you see the risen Jesus? How do you see him at the moment? Perhaps how do you need to see him today for what it is that is happening in your life? Because I think the challenge is we too often see Jesus as we are. We see him as we are at this particular time with the emotions we're going through, the challenges we're facing, the joys we have, the frustration, all those things, the disappointments, the tears, like, like Mary did and Thomas did and Peter did. We see Jesus 
in that way. But Jesus longs for us to see him as he is. The risen, conqueror of death, Jesus. Who was here before the beginning and will be here after the end and is here with us now in this time. We need to change our glasses sometimes, don't we? Change the lens a bit to see Jesus for who he is in full resurrected splendor. And we look at him and we see things in the, his, through his perspective. Now, I've been amazed talking to many of you have had cataracts operations recently, haven't you? I've, I've lost count of how many of you have. But I think I want one now. You get a new lens in your eye, don't you? Is that right? It's the most remarkable thing I could ever dream of. And suddenly, I can see. And many of you are throwing your glasses away because you can see suddenly. And one of you, you I, I won't name you, but you know who you are. In fact, she's not in the room at the moment. She told me that she'd never seen the colors that she saw after the cataracts operation. She hadn't seen them like that for years. And suddenly these colors burst out. Overwhelming new vision of what is. And maybe some of us today, you know, we've been following Jesus a long time. And we need to get a clear vision of Jesus again. Of the fully resurrected, multicolored Jesus who comes and makes himself known to us, whatever the circumstances. See, because I think when we see him as he is, then I think we'll follow him as we should. I think every day when we see him as he is, we'll follow him in the way that we should, as he invites us to. Even in our sorrow, even in our fears, or our doubts, or our denial, look to Jesus and live. Yeah, when John writes in verse 31, I'm writing these things so that you may believe, that you may come to believe in who Jesus is. There's a real evangelistic twist to what John is writing in his gospel. He's writing it for people who maybe don't believe in Jesus. He's saying, I hope that when you read these things, that you will come to believe in who Jesus is. But if you've got good eyesight and you've got a footnote in your Bible, you will also see that this little footnote says, or may continue to believe. I'm writing this so that you may continue to believe in who Jesus is. Perhaps that's where a lot of us are today, that we go on believing whatever the circumstances are. That Jesus is who God promised long ago. That Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God, the risen and exalted one who we get to follow every day. But what's the point of believing? That you may believe, that you may go on believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. The Greek word is zoe life. It's not just existence. This is about animated, vibrant, dynamic life. 
Life that is vigorous and active, devoted to God. This is the sort of life that John wants us to live because we believe in who Jesus is. That we trust in this story. We trust in the truth of the risen Jesus. And we experience life in the midst of all the circumstances that we might have. You know, John uses this word life over about 40 times in his gospel. This is a big thing for him. This sort of life is what he longs for all who read his words to encounter because it's wrapped up in Jesus. Real life. True life. Free life. Dynamic life. And isn't that the story of Jesus we see through the gospel? The woman at the well, do you remember when Jesus met her? Had to go at midday in the heat of the sun all alone because... She'd had about six or seven husbands and the community didn't mix with her. Alone, stuck, not sure what life was going to bring. She met Jesus and she found life, life-giving water. Mary Magdalene, from a figure of disgrace to a follower with dignity. Nicodemus, a secret believer to a carrier of life. Outsiders whose lives were transformed by the the powerful life of the risen Jesus. That's what he offers. That by believing, we might have life through him, through Jesus, in his name. And then there's Luke's ending to the account of Jesus. And he recounts another encounter. Two people who saw Jesus through their disappointments. Maybe they hadn't heard the resurrection news. Maybe they hadn't heard the the ending. Maybe they had already begun walking away from Jerusalem, confused and doubtful. But for whatever reason, they started leaving Jerusalem to walk to Emmaus about seven miles. A slow and thoughtful walk. Cleopas is named. Many commentators think that his companion was, was likely his wife on that occasion. The text says their faces were downcast. And then what happened? Jesus came and walked with them. The Bible says that they were kept from recognizing him, maybe just engrossed in their own feelings. And a conversation ensues between Jesus and this couple. And they were so willing to listen and so wanting to to discover and Jesus says to them don't you realize this whole book the whole of scripture is all about me and when you read it in the light of resurrection when you read the old testament the new testament in the light of resurrection you begin to see it for yourself this is good news whether through the sting of sadness that you're encountering the frustration of fears that you may have, the the distress of any doubts that you might be carrying or the despair even of denial or the distraction of disappointments. Jesus longs to reveal himself, to come alongside you and make himself known to you. The risen, all-conquering Jesus. And if you know that story in Luke chapter 24, you'll know that what happened next was In their journey, they invited Jesus to stop with them and have supper with them for the night. They invited Jesus to sit around a table with them and to tuck into their supper with them. 
And Luke 24 verse 30 says that Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And in this simple act, Jesus reveals himself. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The resurrection life came around that table that evening. And through the bread and through the wine, Jesus made himself known. And their lives were transformed as they believed and experienced the life that he came to bring. This isn't the end. This is what happens next, that Jesus comes and is present with his people. We're going to gather around the table this morning and we're going to break bread and drink together as well. And I pray that in these moments that we will encounter Jesus to recognize him in the midst of these very simple elements, to recognize that this is what happens next and we can experience that resurrection life through him. Maybe today it might be for the first time that you encounter Jesus in his resurrection glory. Maybe it will be again. Maybe it will be afresh. Maybe your heart will start burning because you've encountered his presence through his spirit. And whatever you're carrying today, however you're seeing Jesus today, whatever you're seeing him through, I pray that you'll see him in all his splendor, the resurrected and exalted one. Whatever place you start from today, you are welcome to eat and drink with us as Jesus makes himself known to you and you receive his grace today.